lone wolf. This is Wolf Den. It's Rambo, sir. We read you, lone wolf. What is your position? Over. John Rambo. Helicopter and language qualified. Expert in light weapons and guerrilla warfare. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert, with a man who's the best. With guns, with knives, with his bare hands. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel. To kill. Period. Well, Rambo was the best. He has demolished an American town and survived missions in Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Burma. Now he faces his biggest challenge. The now playing Rambo retrospective series. You wish to test your strength. Good. Taking on Rambo will be Jacob. What you choose to call hell, he goes home. Brock. I just like to say that I feel with your participation, this mission has a better than average chance to succeed rather than fail. And Arnie. Who are you? Who are you? They will draw first blood and review all four Rambo films. But there's people to satisfy, questions that have to be answered. These conversations will reveal top-secret information and contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. I didn't come here to rescue Rambo from you. I came here to rescue you from him. Today we're talking about Rambo, First Blood, Part 2, starring Sylvester Stallone, Richard Krenner, Charles Napier, Stephen Burkoff, Julia Nixon, and Julian Turner. Directed by George P. Cosmatos. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. This is Jacob in L.A. And this is Arnie. And what you choose to call hell, I call podcasting. I was going to totally do that line. I'm glad you did. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty then. So we are here with the sequel to First Blood. And as we discussed a little bit in the last podcast, I think the character of Rambo really became Rambo. With this poster, with this character becoming larger than life in 1985 in America. And this is why I believe I can be so bold saying this is the reason we're even doing this podcast retrospective series is this movie and what this movie was when it came out all those years ago. This is the iconic Rambo. When you think of Rambo, this is it. You know, the the shirtless, muscular Stallone, the black tight army pants, the large knife bow and arrow bazooka the red headband this is it this is the rambo you think of when you think of rambo at least when at night when i'm thinking of rambo this is the one i'm thinking of well if you think about it in 1985 sylvester stallone won the cold war because in 1985 (laughs) we have rambo 2 and rocky 4 he beat the Russians in the ring, and he beat the Russians in Vietnam. If I can change, we all can change. <laughs> I grew up in an era where we would have drills in case of nuclear attack by the Soviets, where we'd hide under school desks, because that will prevent fallout. And I grew up reading comic books about post-apocalyptic war after, of course, the Soviets nuked us. And so, to see Sylvester Stallone, a man of short stature, taking out communism, that was big. And I think that's why this movie hit the cultural zeitgeist that year. Wait, you grew up in the 60s and you had drills underneath your desk in the 40s like that? I'm not kidding. In the 80s, they'd do the siren and have us get under our desk in case of any emergency, which included tornado and nuclear war. Okay. (laughs) All right, then. I think it might have helped with the tornado, maybe. (laughs) More on the side of the tornado, but you know, guys, nuclear war could happen. I mean, I grew up thinking I wouldn't reach podcasting age because of nuclear war, but Stallone changed all that. Stallone and David Hasselhoff. Fancy, fancy dance moves. (laughs) I agree with you. What a heck of a year for Stallone, huh? He can do it with his fists. He can do it with guns. Let me ask you guys. Rambo Part 2. I'm sure this was a shock to no one bigger than David Morrell, who killed Rambo in the book and the original ending of the movie. Did we need Rambo to come back? I mean, obviously, Hollywood's always looking for a buck and will bring anybody back from the dead. But what about us as we were all big fans of First Blood? What is your thought? Did we need Rambo back on the big screen? I didn't, but I wasn't of age to know what I wanted on the big screen back then. (laughs) Unless you're Chelios from the Crank films, where he (laughs) falls and crashes out of an airplane at the end of the first film. I really don't want to see anyone coming back. There's very few, you know, movies where I, I really am demanding a sequel. 
Um, so that's just me. I, you know, it's nothing personal, Rambo. I just don't really like sequels most of the time. I kind of agree with you. After watching the first movie, I don't need to see another movie with Rambo, that character. I saw it already. You know, I can tell you one thing, though. If I was of age and I had seen Raiders of the Lost Dark, I probably would want to have seen a second movie with Indiana Jones. By the time I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom has already been released. That would probably be a character that I think I would have clamored for, not Rambo necessarily. Yeah, James Bond, Indiana Jones, Luke Skywalker, these are all people we are really dying to see what happens next in their story. Rambo's story seemed pretty well told. And those are pulp characters. First Blood is not a pulp movie where you build an entire series off of some sociopath Vietnam vet that blows up small-town America. It doesn't give way to a lot of sequel material, that kind of story. You could just see how lame it would be. This time he kills Teasel. <laughs> Rambo City. takes on South Dakota. Rambo <laughs> takes on North Dakota. By part five, he's made it to Chicago. Yes. Rambo does Dallas. I'm waiting for that one still. There you go. We can talk about it now. How they decide to get him back and what they decide to do with the character. I mean, that's the only way you could really bring him back is if you talked about what he could do. In the last one, we saw what a little bit he could do in the, in the forest and things like that. You had to put him back in the element. You can either do a flashback and do a prequel, or you can bring him back in there and put him right back in the shitstorm and see what he can do for real. And that's they had to go there if they were going to make a sequel of this character. Well, yeah, sequels are always bigger and better, especially when James Cameron is writing them. Did I say better? Scratch that. <laughs> sequels are always bigger when James Cameron's writing them. But this is a typical sequel thing to do. Crocodile Dundee 2 right? They brought him back in Australia because the first one he was taken out of Australia and put him in New York. Well, we know you want to see this guy in his element. So you put him back in Australia, have the adventure there. Well, same thing here. You put him back where we've heard so much about what he did. Now we get a chance to see what it was. I mean, what else would you do? It's a sequel convention. Well, we will talk about it as we go through. Absolutely. Why don't we get a plot summary going and we can get right into it. We start with Rambo breaking rocks in prison, serving time for the havoc he hath wrought in the first film, when he's visited by Colonel Troutman. There's a mission for Rambo searching for POWs left back in Vietnam at the same POW camp where Rambo was held and tortured. And if he succeeds, he'll get a pardon for his crimes. Rambo agrees and is introduced to Murdoch, played by the always evil Charles Napier, who's in charge of the mission. Murdoch tries to create camaraderie with Rambo by lying about having also served in Nam, and then explains Rambo's mission is one of stealth. Take photos of the camp, but do not engage the enemy. If there are POWs, another mission will be mounted to rescue them. Rambo parachutes in, but gets caught up and has to abandon most of his equipment, and is left only with his knife and his bow and arrows. He finally lands and meets indigenous agent Ko Bao, a Vietnamese female working for the U.S. government. She takes him on a riverboat run by smugglers, and then to a camp where Rambo does find POWs. He rescues one and then return to the riverboat, but they're double-crossed by the smugglers and have to fight their way out, blowing up a North Vietnamese patrol boat and, chased by enemy soldiers, return to the pickup spot. The helicopter radios back to Murdoch that Rambo has a POW, and Murdoch orders the helicopter to abort the rescue, leaving Rambo there. Troutman's on board the helicopter and tries to force the pilot, played by Jacob's good friend, Martin Cove. <laughs> I have a picture of him with Stallone from this film autograph. So, yes, good friend is the right term. Troutman tries to force the pilot to land anyway, but another of Murdoch's men puts a gun to Troutman's head and the helicopter strands Rambo there. Rambo's captured by the Vietnamese and tortured, and then Soviet agents, led by Lieutenant Colonel Podovsky, come to interrogate Rambo further. They electrocute him and try to get information, but only when they threaten to blind the POW Rambo was trying to rescue does Rambo agree to radio Murdoch. However, he doesn't tell Murdoch what Podovsky wants. Instead, he says, Murdoch, I'm coming to get you, and breaks his way out of the camp aided by Ko. The Vietnamese and Russians chase Rambo, but they escape to a clearing where Ko says she wants to go to America to be with Rambo. Rambo agrees, and then a Vietnamese officer shoots Ko in the back. This sets Rambo on a rampage, killing many soldiers using booby traps and his bow and arrows, and avoiding thousands of bullets shot at him, as well as the Soviet torturers napalming a waterfall. Rambo steals a helicopter from the Russian torturer and returns to the camp to rescue all the American POWs there, and begins to escape but is chased by a helicopter flown by Lieutenant Colonel Podolsky. Rambo puts his helicopter down, feigning a crash, then uses his RPG to blow up Podolsky's chopper. 
Ram and the POWs then return to Murdoch's base where Rambo takes out his anger on all the computers and tells Murdoch to go back and rescue the other POWs left in Vietnam or Rambo will hunt Murdoch down. Rambo then gives a speech saying he wants America to love his vets as much as they love America and walks off into the sunset. When Troutman asks Rambo how he'll survive, Rambo responds, day by day, or just living off the residuals until Rambo 3 comes along. Well, this movie starts off with, as we talked about, Colonel Troutman visiting Rambo in the prison. And I'm going to say something very positive right now about this movie. I love this prologue scene. I loved every second of it. I thought it was the perfect way to start this movie. Boom, 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 boom. Rambo. I thought I Yeah, I this thought, movie literally starts with an explosion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Now, Boom. are there actual Siberian style labor camps in the US? <laughs> like I know growing up off of like uh, cartoons that it was common for inmates to break rocks all day, but I don't I now that I'm older in the 80s, I don't know if that was a real thing where we they just literally broke rocks all day prison labor camp style. I think that there, you know, were chain gangs where they did work, and I know there are rock quarries where people break rocks. But prisoners in the eighties? In the eighties, it seems kind of unexpected. Yeah, hard labor camp, but I agree, seemed a little out of place. But I'm talking more specifically the conversation between Troutman and Rambo, the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Didn't you guys think that kind of launched the movie? Twelve minutes later, he's already in Vietnam. They got him there as fast as they possibly could. It seemed very efficient. Yeah. Let's not waste a whole lot of time. I mean, the first movie, I said in the last podcast, it didn't spend a whole lot of time and the action began and never stopped. This movie isn't quite as intensely paced, but it wastes no time getting over to Vietnam and introducing us to the characters and giving very conveniently an excuse for Rambo to not be in prison nor a fugitive wanted by the government and surviving as a soldier of fortune. <laughs> Yeah, I'll agree. It was efficient. I don't know if I like that. I like that it got to the point quick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, sure. Absolutely. I think a lot of the dialogue in here about Vietnam and, and all, all those things that I liked about the first one, I think it's a little too heavy handed in this one. There, Rambo has a line, do we get a win this time when he finds out he's going back to Vietnam? I don't Yeah, But it, they got him there quick. So that's good. Jacob, I'm going to amend something you just said. You said a little too heavy-handed. Oh, I think it's a lot heavy-handed. Okay. I think a, a I lot of it. Generous. Yeah, it was like a lead weight-handed. I mean, it really was. But it told me what I needed to know right up front, like a good opening should. And I appreciated the fact that we're not going to give you the same movie we did last time. We're going to get right to it right now. Boom. And uh, they did. Let me ask you guys a question. Last podcast, I asked a lot about Vietnam and Vietnam being portrayed in movies. In 85, there still hadn't been a lot more. But here we get Rambo being sent back to Vietnam saying, do we get to win this time? Because, you know, the socialist pigs didn't let us win last time. And Troutman's response, this time it's up to you. So Rambo embodies America returning to Vietnam to single-handedly win the Vietnam War a decade or more after it had ended. That's my question with this, Arnie. Was that something Americans were clamoring for in 1985? Hey, let's finish that war we screwed up 20 years ago. And were Vietnam POWs a big issue in 85 that we well, got to yes. go and Yes, they up? were. Okay. POWs have been a huge issue with Vietnam still to this day, really. It's a very divisive issue. There was a big thing that happened. I think it was in the 90s where John McCain and others went over to definitively see if there were POWs and said there were not. But it has been long said that there were still POWs over there and... It's been a big conspiracy theory that there were American POWs in Vietnam for all of those years. And this movie really brought it to the forefront. But that has always been a big issue because there are a lot of soldiers presumably shot down and dead. But in the end, no bodies recovered. MIA, were they prisoners? That was a huge issue that went on, you know, from the 70s through the 90s and still continues to this day. So, yes, that was an issue. Was it in the media a lot? Possibly not. But you think about Vietnam, this was something that was there quite a bit. What about America going back? Were they rooting for that? Well, keep in mind, this movie was being made in 84. What happened in 1983, I kind of mentioned it last podcast, we invaded and just kicked Grenada's ass pretty quickly. And America was feeling good about itself. We'd kind of been down on ourselves in the 70s. And that shows in the movies where it was all very depressed. We had lost the war. It was really the only war 
not counting any currently in progress, that America lost. So it was kind of like, I think, Grenada and showing our military might could do something so swiftly in a weekend could do this. And now it's like, well, let's write that wrong. This kind of populist, rah-rah, blue-collar, kick-the-foreigner's-ass attitude that I'm going to go out on a limb and say, had this movie come out one year later, would not have worked. Because... In 86, we get Oliver Stone's Platoon, where we see a realistic and grim depiction of the Vietnam War, where soldiers aren't demonized as baby killers, as some people had called them, nor are they lionized like Rambo is here as, we're going to go kick the foreigner's ass because we're Americans. But it shows it as a horrible thing for both the soldiers and the people, which the first First Blood kind of went to and is so lost in First Blood Part 2 because Rambo's no longer the I can't get a job parking cars I'm so tormented from what I've seen because Johnny lost his legs no he's like do I get to kill the gooks this time I mean that's what he's saying right what are you really saying Arnie are you saying (laughs) because it feels like oh we're going back to that foreign place with them foreigners you know all the xenophobia and that's why it's going to be okay to kill him or that's why he wants to kill him the dude was he was a prisoner of war i mean he was whether you want to say brainwashed or whatever he believed he was fighting for freedom when he was over there you know he still has that mentality i i guess i don't see that undercurrent of racism that you're kind of implying by the way you phrased it it's yeah he wants to go save his brothers that are still over there I'm not saying the racism's on Rambo's part, necessarily. In Rambo's part, I see him as very anti-government. You know, Reagan, after this movie, said Rambo's a Republican. No, I think Rambo wants to blow up the White House. Because do we get to win this time implies the government didn't let us win. But what I'm saying here is on the part of the filmmakers, or the audience, or both, I think the filmmakers are pandering to a xenophobic audience. Do you think it's xenophobic, though? Or do you just think it's because that was the war we lost and we want to fix that because America doesn't lose? And look, I'm pretty quick to accuse Hollywood of racism. I know when we did the original Saw retrospective, the message wars got kind of heated over some of my views of one of those films. But here, I don't know, because I guess I see it that they're taking an actual historical event. And yeah, it happened to take place with another. Maybe you could criticize raw, raw America. Let's go win because we're never going to lose and we're going to rewrite history. I could see some criticism there. I, I don't think it's xenophobia, though, necessarily. My part of xenophobia isn't necessarily we're killing the foreigner. But in a way it is because in the last movie, they took Rambo killing the cops out of the book. And when they made the screenplay, actually, when Stallone rewrote it, he said, I can't kill these people because audiences are going to turn against me. But audiences are going to root for him if he's killing communists. So xenophobia might not be the right word. Yeah, I think I think it's more of a communist thing. Yeah. They were still our enemies because the Russians, you get white Russians, not not the drink, but (laughs) uh, that he's killing in this as well. It's not just the Vietnamese. It's that whole democracy versus communism, rah, rah, rah type of Cold War thing, which was still going on at the time. I guess I meant xenophobia as the other, as an international, not as in other race, but as in other culture. Yeah. I also don't want to downplay the fact that he's going in after POWs and he was one himself. And it's something that I'm sure he would want to do if he had the opportunity and he's taking the opportunity to do so to save people who are still going through what he was going through all those years ago and get them out. I kind of felt that what you're saying very well may be true, Arnie, but I think it could be also taken a little more simpler, just that he wants to get these guys out. Yeah, I did see a lot of the, let's kill the commies, but I kind of like that his motivation there was not to kill the commies necessarily. He will kill them to get the people out, but he was there for a very specific reason, to get those people out. And I kind of like that part. Agreed. But it's not, do we get to save them this time? It's, do we get to win this time? It's an oversimplification of a national tragedy, and it's almost painful in certain ways to watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I agree. It's part of the reason I love Rocky IV so much. It's (laughs) America (laughs) will convince everyone to their ways through their fists. You can punch democracy into anyone. (laughs) It's kind of a relic of an age, and there might be xenophobia, or it's like you watch old Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff. There's some uncomfortable moments during the World War II era Bugs Bunny cartoons. For me, it's also a piece 
of Americana. It's an ugly piece of it, but it's still a piece of American history that I find interesting seeing, hey, there was a time where people received this today and it's totally absurd, but there's a time people really bought into that. There was, and that was called the Cold War. I, I completely agree with you, but with Rocky Four, I guess I can just write it off because it's just so cheesy. And he, uh, Stallone's there in his American flag underwear, boxer shorts, whatever. But here, it just felt worse because we're going to see an American stand there and get shot at a million times, and he's going to blow the gook up. And it, you know, it just, oh, it was, it was a little painful. And it doesn't help in this opening scene. You know, we're, we know what we're in for because the whole, do we get to win this time, this time it's up to you. I just see everybody raising their PBRs and cheering at that line. But moreover, Stallone was just really not pulling the performance off in this. His his laconic line delivery, where he's like, in here, I know where I stand, at least. He's very conflicted because we find out what his origin is. He is Indian German. <laughs> yeah. he, he is part people that a Holocaust was committed against and part people who committed a Holocaust. He, he's a very complex character in this film. Come on. <laughs> There's your character development when they reveal his national origin. Oh, character development is given in so many different great ways. In a few minutes, we learn character development by Coca-Cola. I mean, really. (laughs) So they head over to the American base, and wow, it was like war games with those computers. Just so antiquated, I had to laugh. You get Murdoch there, and he's like... These are the most advanced weapons in the world. Yeah, where's the punch cards? Well, those gigantic <laughs> floppy disks. I want to see those. Yeah. Right when we get into this scene here is where I instantly start to scratch my head. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this, maybe because I know a little bit more about this. Maybe you did notice it, but I actually watched the actors hit their marks. And I've never <laughs> seen that so obvious in a movie before. And I said before, character development through Coca-Cola. We're not supposed to like this guy because he's drinking Coke. Either really bad product placement or a combination of both. You know they're bad ass mercenaries because they don't put their quarters in the coke machine they just straight up open it and take it out exactly (laughs) and this is the kind of people we got i I watched martin cove walk all the way around charles napier in the chair and just stop (laughs) mid-stride i watched i I watched alone walk up to the desk and stop I watched Richard Crenna walking next to Stallone, literally not knowing what to do with his arms. He's just like, I don't know what to do with my arms here. I'm like, are you kidding me? The choices in the editing were driving me crazy. Why did they use that shot? From this scene on, I just was like, oh, no. I knew this movie was not going to be the same movie from last. Well, you know, what you're talking about is probably very much the result of our director, George P. Cosmo Kramer. (laughs) (laughs) And I do have to say that it was much later revealed that the director of this film was more likely named Sylvester Stallone. But isn't Stallone a little better at a director than what I'm talking about here? I mean, have you seen Rocky Three? Yeah, this is directing by proxy, though. Yeah, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, I I found that out uh, by reading the... I actually, I didn't even trust Wiki. I went to the source article and read all about it. And (laughs) it was very interesting to see that the night before, Stallone was setting up all the shots, and then George was doing them the next day saying, all right, camera, go here. So I think it's a matter of having a very weak-willed director. That must be why Stallone was so, I don't know, lackadaisical in his acting, because he's had to stay up all night, pulling all nighter to get the direction ready for the director well he was also up all night working out if you follow the special features apparently that man was in the gym a lot and it shows because he bulked up between first blood and this it must be all the rocks rambo was breaking because my (laughs) god this this guy is ripped he makes me want to just like go to the gym and try to be that and take steroids and things So this movie is extremely predictable. I mean, this movie is like predictable beyond predictable. As soon as you meet this guy Napier, before even Rambo tells Troutman that the guy lied, you know the shit was stinking. Well, that's because he's played by Charles Napier, the bad guy on every TV show ever. (laughs) I think he played two different bad guys on the A-Team. And I think he fought the Hulk at one point. (laughs) I'm not even joking. There's no surprise in this movie at all, from the script anyway. This scene gave everything away instantly. So when it actually does happen later on, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's exactly which way they choose to do it. And this scene gave it all away. What I'm surprised is actually that they chose Charles Napier. I mean, here's a guy who's got a little bit of a southern drawl. And while he definitely comes off as nefarious, in a movie that's really trying to demonize American bureaucrats, you'd think they'd have gone with somebody more 
urban, don't you think? Somebody a little more New York or a little bit more well-spoken. Somebody who represented politicians versus somebody, and I'm talking like slick, greasy politicians, not Bill Clinton down-home South politicians. The thing with Napier is he kind of reminds me of a shrunken-down version of Brian Dennehy. <laughs> like, he doesn't quite have the bulk, but his presence, I don't know, he reminded me a lot of Dennehy for some reason in this. You know, I'm like, oh, great, so they're going to retread that whole rivalry in this movie. So, Arnie, what, you, what you're getting at, yeah, I would have liked someone more slimy, someone more slick, someone that, that that just had a different presence. You know, like what I said, what I liked about Troutman in the first film is that he didn't seem like your typical army military general. I would have liked them here to yeah use someone that kind of threw you off, that didn't seem, you know, Napier kind of seemed like a tough guy here, like he could hold his own maybe. I would have liked to seen someone maybe a little weaker that was a bit more sinister. They had to use their brain more because they didn't have the brawn. Well, while we're talking about this, and I, I brought up uh, predictability, Arnie, do you know in your research or your commentary listening, what parts James Cameron contributed to this? Because he already written The Terminator at this point. I don't know. Nobody really knows. Well, some people do, but they're not talking. Here, here's what I can tell you, that James Cameron wrote kind of the action scenes but not the politics. And the way he said it in an, just a line was, the action scenes are mine, the politics are Stallone's. That's interesting, because I, I actually kind of liked some of the politics that they get into in this film more than the action. So that feels really weird that I'm kind of liking Stallone's writing, if that's true. Now, Napier, you mentioned, lied about his military record. Why would he do that? As somebody who's supposed to be slick government, the fact that he lied poorly seemed ill-prepared. They needed a cue for the audience so we could know he was evil. He was already drinking Coke and played by Napier. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but maybe and Stallone... audiences weren't as sophisticated. <laughs> they weren't as self-aware in 1985. You know, <laughs> we were busy thinking about the Ruskies. We didn't have have time to deconstruct our cinema you know <laughs> so you had to have that line where rambo reveals that he knows and tells troutman i only trust you i i, I think that's the only reason they had him lie about it because they had to give that cue to the less bright in the audience and i just gotta say again i think that's who this movie was targeted at the less bright mm -hmm. I, I think they don't give the audience enough credit in this movie at all hey it was very successful they gave their audience exactly enough credit I think you can do without it. I think because also not only does the scene give it away, but with Rambo telling Troutman that he's on to Murdoch, when the double cross happens later, there's zero surprise. I mean, remember I said last time a lot of the subtlety that was going on or a lot of things that was getting off the portrayals was going on in the scenes were then later on blatantly said in the dialogue. They did it here not even two minutes later. Like they just flat out tell you it's not a movie that they want you to really think and put things together. They're just going to spell it out for you. But yet they try to have a big reveal that they're going to leave him behind. I mean that, you know, same thing with the girl. I mean, there's no surprises here. You know what? I, I think there might not be surprises here though, because this movie is now 25 years old and it was so successful. A lot of the things we're seeing here, we've seen so many times since. When it comes to Ko, when Ko falls in love with Rambo, very convenient, and then gets shot immediately, very convenient. But that's today's more sophisticated audience because we've seen it happen so many times since. But did it happen before? Guys, when I saw this movie when I was like nine, Ko's death totally surprised me. I was not expecting it. Thank but you. I was also nine. Okay, yeah. fair See, enough, fair, fair enough. I, I think that is what it has going for it, is every so often, like when we do these, when we did the classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Stuart said you've seen the beats repeated so often later that it gets watered down in the original. I think we might be seeing some of that here. My memory of Ko's death comes more from the Nintendo game, Rambo, that follows this movie <laughs> than it does actually from the cinematic version of this movie. I remember seeing the little 8-bit Stallone going, no! And I have made that same point before to other people, so I completely concede that. But I knew she was going to die on that scene on the boat, the first scene on the boat. Not later on after she confesses his love to her. When she says to him, I've always wanted to see America, I said, she's dead. 
I knew instantly that she was going to die because that's just one of those things. I said, it's like, it's my birthday today. <laughs> Two days from retirement. Maybe. And that's, and that's what I saw. Lethal Weapon 3 pops to mind. It's my birthday and a kid dies, right? And, and so same kind of thing. So you're very well maybe right. But yes, I'm in my mid-30s watching this movie now. I'm not a nine-year-old boy. Then we get more uh, character development through shoe tying. <laughs> oh. Now, Arnie, you talked about how this movie had a lot of firsts or was early on with uh, all these action cliches. This is one of the scenes that sticks out to me is the whole like preparation scene, tying the shoes, loading the knives into the belt. I mean, this is such an iconic scene for me in this movie. Were there montages like this that came in other action movies previously? Because this is like the first one I remember seeing. Even when I was watching, I believe it is a Blade 3 that has a Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel. They have a <laughs> similar type of scene, except you get Jessica Biel putting in her iPod earphones to get ready to slay some vampires. I, it totally took me back to this scene in Rambo First Blood Part 2. Well, Jacob, if it wasn't the first, it certainly was the one that popularized it. I think there have been some that weren't as rapid cut in, like, Terminator and things. But, yeah, this is the epitome of the gearing up scenes. I do not believe this to be the pioneer. This may not be the first, but it did it best. I like the one later on, after Co dies, more. I mean, the fact that they make rambo checking to see if they're loading film into a camera like tough. <laughs> it, 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 well photography is hard <laughs> i have to press 300 just to lift the lens sometimes that's why men aren't really men today because they didn't have those film canisters to <laughs> these little digital photo cards we stick into our digital camera there's nothing tough about that when you have to pull that film from one side of the camera to the other that's wrist strengthening right there. I'm sure that just like Jessica Biel's iPod headphones, a good editor and a good Jerry Goldsmith score could make me popping in that memory card and checking my battery life really actiony. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 12 minutes in, he parachutes into Vietnam. He's already there. And they had that sequence on the outside the plane, which I think that's the first time I noticed a blatant set in these two movies. Oh, it was terrible. It was horrible. It was terrible. Dude, the plane doesn't even move. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so bad. I think they use, I think Martin Cove wasn't actually in the scene. They used that uh, big paper cutout from Karate Kid for him in the cockpit. <laughs> Jacob, you have that signed, right? <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of him flailing out of the plane like that is so he's left in the wild without any of the equipment. Yes. So it served its purpose. It just went on a little while longer than I thought it needed to. Much like you guys complaining about the cave last movie, here, I'm like, there's no way the movie's going to end 20 minutes in. Oh, Rambo died by getting sucked into a jet on a really bad set with a wind machine. I made the exact same note. Like, I don't, I've, I've never understood this scene. Like, he gets caught up somehow, and he's up there for, like, it seems like 20 minutes. Like, this scene has always confused me. Like, couldn't he have just forgotten, like, his bag of stuff on the plane when he jumped out? <laughs> or say, I don't need that stuff. I could do it my own. I'm Rambo and jumped yeah. out the plane. I'm, I'm here to win this time. Because <laughs> it's up to me and my bow and arrow and knife. Uh, but then he lands on the ground and fights a rubber snake, so I don't see how that's any better. <laughs> I actually like that. I don't know why. It's just so ridiculous. Like, he hears this snake and turns around and just chokes it to death. Like, it's... <laughs> He has a huge freaking knife. He could have just cut it. But no, he stands there and chokes it to death. I don't know. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Maybe that's why I liked it. It's just so obviously a puppet. Well, there's a Muppet for you. Well, right you should have liked it then. You're, you're yeah. turning <laughs> your puppet movies. There you go. Yoda looks more real than the snake. Well, yeah, of course he did. <laughs> so he finds the first POW. The one he first one he saves is the guy strung up, not in the jail. He sees the guys in the jail, but he saves the guy strung up. And the guy asks, what year is it? Right? Like he's, uh, what year is it? And, and, <laughs> and, and he says 1985. And I have a note here on this. The camera, surprisingly, doesn't linger on this guy's face long enough. I actually saw this guy look despondent. And they could quickly cut away. If they kept on him just a couple of more seconds, it could have resonated a little bit more. But then as I put here, this isn't that kind of movie. They really could have had something there with this character. And they just completely wasted it. I thought the missed opportunity big time. Eh, if the actor had a moment of anguish at hearing the year, that was the actor hoping to work again. And did he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
don't think so. I saw something there in that guy's eyes when he was trying to do it, and it cut away so quickly. Oh, no. I felt for him. I thought that this whole idea, again, of the POW thing was, was, was really interesting, that he was going back for these guys. And, and so the fact that he finds this one guy and, he, and he, how he carries him and he's weak and all of that stuff was the POW thing, much like in the last movie with, when he was talking about his friend blowing up. Maybe the execution of it wasn't great, but the weight of what was actually going on it kind of got me. I'm wondering if you're bringing POW-sized baggage with you because, honestly, it's up to the movie to sell this to me because I'm not of that generation who went to Nam, saw my friends go to Nam, my family go to Nam. I wasn't of that. Watching this as a kid in the 80s or an adult in 2010, this movie needs to sell me on the importance of really seeing those POWs, and it didn't. So what I'm telling you is I think it didn't linger. It's not that kind of movie, but I brought in what a POW is, and I kind of found it interesting, and this movie did not at all bring that to it. That's exactly what I'm saying, Arnie, is that I felt that they had an opportunity here, and they didn't really focus on it, and this is the first time they, they showed me that they weren't going to do that. They didn't give me a good movie about it, but the idea, the plot idea of this man going back and saving his brethren I thought was a good idea. They didn't do a lot good here, but I, I talked to, you know, I said I kind of like the politics of this movie, or at least some of the politics they start to explore, and you find out the whole reason behind the betrayal of Rambo with the, with the helicopter pulling away is because they didn't want to actually find POWs. They wanted to prove that there were no POWs there because they were afraid if they found POWs, then we're going to get sucked back into this war with Vietnam. And I liked all those ideas. I'm like, well, that that's, you know, pragmatically, you know, I, I could, you know, see why a governmental body might want to cover the whole thing up and get into the whole conspiracy thing. But unfortunately, that's uh, like everything in this movie is just a plot device to, hey, let's set up a betrayal of Rambo so he gets to fight and shoot and kill more people. You know, all the interesting aspects they don't spend a lot of time on because this is an action movie first and foremost, and they need to make things explode. And that's a damn shame. And we're not going to get Rambo 3, the congressional hearings on POWs, which, oddly enough, is what I want. <laughs> well, I don't want that either, but I liked what the last movie gave me, which was some interesting characters. Again, I thought that last time, with the exception of Galt, who was taken out pretty early, there were no clear-cut heroes and villains. It was moral ambiguity in an action film. It was a thinking action film. Here, man, it's so cut and dry who's right and who's wrong and so now it's almost like action porn you see the guy walk in he's there with the pizza you see the girl in the negligee you know they're gonna fuck you you send rambo to vietnam you know he's gonna kill people i could see why it would work a lot better in the cold war of 85 when i was up nights worrying about the russians nuking us you know i would probably have cheered too when i was this i would have been 11 when this came out i probably as an 11 year old me would have cheered because rambo was saving me by this he was winning for me but in 2010, I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. Arnie, I totally made the porn connection here, too. Because with First Blood, yeah, we get all this action. But it serves a purpose. You have this whole scene where he's ambushing the cops. But the whole point of that scene, so Rambo could prove that, hey, I have the power to kill all you guys, but I didn't. So leave me alone. Here, there's no purpose except we want to see a, a waterfall get blown to hell by napalm. There's nothing beyond that. There, that doesn't serve any purpose. It's we got a really good shot of an explosion. You know, uh, a fight on a helicopter with the Russians. It's because we wanted to show a fight on a helicopter. We want to show helicopters flying around, blowing stuff up. I don't learn anything. I don't learn anything about Rambo from the action scenes like I felt I did during the first film. Rambo takes the POW. He's betrayed on the boat. We get to see a boat blow up. There's our money shot. Yeah, when you hire pirates in a movie, who, who saw that coming? They're going to betray them? Oh, my God. Pirates? You can't trust pirates. Who can you trust? Hey, Han Solo didn't betray Luke and Obi-Wan. Hey, Jack Sparrow certainly double-crossed people back and forth in that first movie. Yeah, but that was later, so maybe Jack Sparrow was a ripoff of these Vietnamese smugglers. Brock, you talked about everybody hitting their mark. The one big thing besides the fake snake and fake airplane that hit me, they blow up the boat, Rambo jumps out of the boat and is submerged underwater, and Ko thinks Rambo might be dead. Rambo emerges... Cut to the next scene where they're walking over the hill away from the lake. Rambo is completely dry and his hair is perfectly feathered. 
Oh, yeah. This is the first time this happens in the movie. It happens egregiously later with the mud. When he's on the boat talking to Ko, before the pirates betray them, but when they're on the way to get the POW, they have these shots of Troutman drinking coffee. Then they go back to the boat, and they have a couple of pieces of dialogue made. They boat driving the river. They go back to Napier at his desk, having no dialogue, just like a five-second shot to help time pass for the audience. And they do this throughout the movie. There's a couple of scenes when Troutman actually confronts Murdoch later that they actually have dialogue. But they keep flashing in these five-second bits to help, quote-unquote, show the passage of time. And it was so, so bad. I don't understand the thought process there. I think we all would have understood if this one scene when they're going on the boat, it's daytime, and then the next scene, it's dusk or night. I can understand how the sun works. I don't need... A five-second insert shot of people drinking coffee. But, Brock, you're not watching this movie behind your Pabst Blue Ribbon can. I'm not. I think that, again, you're not the target audience. You say that they don't give the audience enough credit. The well. editing and directing there is what I'm really, I just, it's just so hacked. It didn't make any sense why they chose to do it. They didn't need to do it, and yet they kept doing it. And I just felt that was really amateur. So Rambo's captured and he's ripped. I got to go back, man. Those muscles when he's electrocuted. Did you not just want to hit the gym? I was willing to take some kind of pill that would give me that physique. I'm much too lazy to go to the gym, but I wouldn't mind having a body like that. Sure. I felt like spreading oil over my body. I just... I'm not ashamed to say that. Stallone may not have put much into the writing, the directing, or the acting, but he gave it at the gym. Let, let me ask you guys this, because we're talking about a, a seminal action film that, that, you know, it's full of a topless Stallone who is, you know, ripped. You know, he runs around with this giant knife, obviously a phallus, uses it to penetrate many people in this film. What is the deal with homoeroticism in action films? Like, because guys will go see a film like this and do not have a problem getting excited seeing Sylvester Stallone or Arnold or, or any of these big action stars just totally rip. We feel comfortable watching that when Jacob. we, in, in normal life, we wouldn't admit to that. Wow, you've cornered me into a place that I'm not even comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm just saying is, is I find this aspect of, of action films interesting from a sociological perspective that they're very much the violence. It's very much replacing sex. You know, you can't have gratuitous sex in a mainstream Hollywood movie, but you could have a guy with a very large knife that's very built run around and penetrating people with that. And that's totally acceptable. I, I just kind of find that interesting. Now, you say a knife is a fallacy. You can go that way with it. I always choose to kind of roll my eyes at that a little bit. I, I don't see that at all, Jacob. Sometimes a knife is just a knife. In this case, Stallone is the avatar for the American. He is representing us winning this time. It's in the movie. He is us, and we are ripped without having to go to the gym. It's like that pill you wanted to take. <laughs> and so I see this as the idealized hero that we can project ourselves onto and want to be. There's a lot more focus on the weapons in this movie. That's all I'm saying. There are. But there's a whole lot more focus on what the weapons can do because there's no characters. It's character development through an AK-47. What's surprising to me is I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, God, this is such bullshit. Explosive tipped arrowheads. Yeah, like that would ever happen. Turns out all these weapons are real. <laughs> yeah, but are the explosions that big? Those were some pretty big explosions coming out of those arrows. Well, maybe they hit something that also made it go... <laughs> Yeah, they were straw huts. He was shooting, and they napalmed water, and it I know it went everywhere. One little canister napalmed a huge area. Remember, I said before they hit their marks. I actually watched one explosion go over after the other. It's like they hit like the button, and this one boom, 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 boom. I'm like, oh my god, I'm unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. I also have to give props to Rambo. Because not only does he have explosion-tipped arrows that make things blow up sky high, but the man has amazing aim. The guy doesn't miss the accuracy that guy has at a bow and arrow. It's his Native American heritage. Yeah, <laughs> the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm going to say, he's part Indian, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that might be a little too insensitive. Well, it, it, we're, we didn't make this movie. We didn't drop the Native American line and then give him a bow. And a headband. <laughs> I have to say, it was amazingly fun to watch him use the bow and arrow. It was really kind of cool. 
I just thought it was awesome. A couple things with the bow and arrow. One, they make the point that he has to use his bow and arrow because it's silent. But why every time he fires an arrow, it sounds like he's shooting a bullet. Maybe it's just that's how they thought it would sound as it's cutting through the wind. I thought that bow and arrow was a little too loud. Two, when he shot that dude with the explosive tip arrow, I thought that was awesome. And that made the whole bow and arrow thing worth it for me to watch him blow up a single person. I like over-the-top action. I, You know, I talk bad about action a lot, but I like when it's just ridiculous like that. Yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous at that point. I also love how long it took to do that. You see him go back and forth between the guy and him, the guy shooting at Rambo, but somehow can't hit this guy, just standing still, aiming a bow and arrow at him. The entire thing was ridiculous, but damn, is it fun to watch the guy just blow up, wasn't it? It was just lots of fun. You know, I couldn't get past it. And again, the whole UHF thing may be tainting this even worse for me but the guy is shooting again (laughs) and again and again and everybody is shooting at him and he's just there i'm going to pick up my bow i'm going (laughs) to draw back and aim and this guy's shooting again and again and rambo's just standing there a stock still target not even that far away it's stupid apparently the the guy was either part vietnamese and part stormtrooper or part (laughs) cobra trooper because he couldn't hit nothing the only thing they could hit was the love interest i'll go with you bam what time (laughs) seconds later and how did they ever get that time they're like we'd be safe here you take me with you yes bam what happened to we be safe here and it's not like they were hiding out. They're lined up along the river waiting for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're going to shoot one of them, why do you shoot the chick? One of them has already taken out half your camp, escaped twice. After she dies, he goes on another one of those stealth kind of things he did in the first movie, uh, guerrilla warfare, taking out soldier after soldier. There's one part during that, he, he sees mud on the ground and he starts playing with it, right? And then he starts killing people with the bows and all the other stuff. And then all of a sudden, one shot, he's completely covered in mud and kills a guy. Completely covered in mud, like in Predator. Completely covered. And the next shot, he's completely clean, completely dry, no problem. <laughs> you know what, though? I gotta say this. This worked for me. Rambo on the hunt worked for me it was just like in the first movie Mm -hmm. but this time it was lethal and i liked it i was really enjoying him on the hunt now i i thought the bow and arrow thing got a little silly but i liked all the different ways he killed people he was like jason Voorhees. i'm with you there because i like that sequence very much i'm just pointing out the insanity that it was clearly (laughs) cut weirdly they couldn't have done the mud first or last and then somehow put that a little bit of continuity in there it didn't make it 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 wasn't like he jumped in a thing of water and got the mud fell off him the next scene he was completely mud free it didn't make any sense you know what despite continuity errors i this is rambo part two after all um i'm not gonna get caught up in continuity errors i i like that that montage with the the mud i i actually really like that i like that he was using vines to like grab people and suck them into the side of the mountains and between the rocks I don't know. I, I, I actually enjoyed that scene. It was a total retread from the first film, but I enjoyed it. I mean, he's bulletproof. His helicopter. He steals a helicopter and then the helicopter is bulletproof. Everything but his girlfriend is bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> One of the POWs did get shot. Not not mortally, but it's true. So it just it, it made me feel again back to the pornography thing that this is anti-communist pornography showing how superior we are to them that one man and one machine is because it's american can take out an entire army that may work as war recruitment but as a motion picture it left me feeling empty there was no suspense i watched a lot of gi joe when this movie came out so this seemed pretty normal that the good guy could dodge every bullet sure but that's based off of cartoon logic exactly they also had ray guns but i think this hero going through and taking care of business and things this is obviously what the audience love watching and whether or not all of them got what we're talking about about the usa maybe some people didn't they just saw this great guy going through and kicking everyone's ass and as we talked about earlier in the podcast a lot of movies imitated that sort of character later on but People just liked watching this guy kick ass and take names and and regardless of everything else we're talking about. So audiences loved it and they saw something here that we didn't. And I don't know what that is. The biggest bullshit moment of them all. Rambo fakes the chopper crash, right? (laughs) And so Victor Maitland from Beverly Hills Cop is the Russian bad guy here. And he's sitting there with his finger on the firing trigger examining this chopper. 
And he doesn't just shoot because, you know, he, after all the bullets that have missed Rambo, it's time to conserve some, I guess. <laughs> but his finger is on the trigger. Before this Russian can move his finger a quarter of an inch, Rambo can lean over, pick up a rocket launcher, fire the rocket launcher. The rocket can fire, not kill the POWs in the back with the backwash, cross the distance <laughs> to the chopper, and blow up the chopper. Which is obviously plywood if you watch that explosion. <laughs> I'm sorry, does Victor Maitland have Parkinson's where his finger was twitching uncontrollably and couldn't pull the trigger? That's why Americans are better than Russians. We could pull the trigger when we need to. We don't hesitate. So Rambo goes back to Murdoch. He shoots Teasel in the legs a few times for not letting him get lunch. Murdoch leaves him <laughs> and a bunch of POWs to die, <laughs> and Murdoch escapes unscathed. All his computers got shot up. <laughs> Admittedly, and you know what? In the 80s, that would have been as bad as shooting me if he shot my computer. <laughs> I love how Troutman didn't even try to stop him. He just stood there and just let him go. But he did tell the commander that he has to go back and get the other POWs. Maybe he didn't want to shoot him because he wants him to do that. I mean, he's such an honorable guy yeah. to this point. Yeah, sure. He's not yeah. just going to get the Secret Service to protect him. <laughs> I, I actually wondered. I would have liked to seen this reshifted around. I wanted to, uh, you know, I kind of suspected those POWs didn't make it home for some reason that the chopper accidentally went down. Like I wanted to see the fallout of the whole POW thing, going back to how I kind of like that story. I'm like, this guy betrayed you. He betrayed all these POWs already, and you're going to just trust him to get him home? What I thought was going to happen during the betrayal scene earlier, instead of just leaving Rambo with the POW there, I thought the chopper was going to kill the POW and leave Rambo there. That's what I thought was going to happen, and they didn't, they didn't go there. I'm glad they didn't go there, but that's what I thought was going to happen. And instead we get another, again, retread, even worse. As much as we didn't like the, the ending scene in the first film, it's even worse here. You know, I would actually have liked it better if this was the ending to the first movie because Stallone never channeled Travolta this time, and he just <laughs> said it very plainly. We want our country to love us as much as we love it. I, I could get behind that. It was plain. It was, again, speaking to the Vietnam vet. The problem was here it was tired. Yeah, we heard it last time, and we knew what to expect. It, this was the sequel hitting the same beats as the first one. It, it would have been nice for something a little bit different. But, yeah, I mean, I liked that better this time than the last if it just hadn't been so redundant. I like the sentiment. But I wasn't crazy with that, how it was delivered. Not the acting this time, necessarily, but the way it was just put across. It was so, I think the word you use is perfect for it. A little bit tired. But I like the sentiment very, very much. What's funny to me is Troutman says, don't hate your country for it. And Rambo's like, I'd die for my country. But it's such an anti-government movie, I feel. You know, it's the government made us lose this war when we could have won it. It was up to us to win it this time. But we love our country. I don't know. I don't want to get too political. But how can you love a country when you hate the government that runs the country? Arnie, I agree. I'm not. I'm going to try not to get too political. But I think that's in a very that's a very american feeling is that we love this country whatever that means the history of it that we threw tea into the ocean a few hundred years ago but i i think that's a very american feeling that a lot of people feel is that we love this country whatever that means i don't know if it's articulated very well but we don't trust the government yeah yeah i think that i've seen that at a bumper sticker is i love my country but fear the government but I, I think that's a, a feeling that's gone way back, and it's just, you know, it's expressing what a lot of people feel. But I, I think it resonates with a lot of people. It did back in 85. Quite obviously. True. And it still does today, I bet. One last note, literally. Can somebody please shoot Frank Stallone with one of the bullets that missed his brother? How about one of those explosive tipped arrows? Yeah, no kidding. Frank Stallone must be stopped. <laughs> now, admittedly, I have far from over on my iPod. I admit this. But other than that, man, stop him. Did the creators of South Park write this song? Because it totally sounds like some parody they would do like on Team America or something. It's just, it's so bad. So, so bad. So, Jacob, Arnie, do you recommend Rambo First Blood Part 2? Jacob. You know what? I am going to recommend it. Perhaps not for reasons I would recommend movies that I, I really, really like. But I... <laughs> I'm going to recommend it like I recommend all those other movies I hate. Yes. <laughs> you know, I... 
I have to say this movie, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. I kind of enjoy it just because of the time it was set in. Again, I talked about how Rocky Four. I like that, not because it's a great movie, because I, I just like the Cold War propaganda going on in it. And, and you know, this movie, it's a relic of its age. And also, it's just as an action movie, I, I think it's been parodied or given nods to in so many films. It's kind of one you have to see to, to understand, you know, just the discourse in cinema that's going on. And it's got some fun over-the-top action that I enjoy, you know. You know, the the explosive tip arrows, it's totally ridiculous, but I like how over the top it is when, you know, it's like a little mini A-bomb going off every time those things hit their target. I like the montage uh, where he's taking out the troops covered in mud and using vines to strangle them. It's got those moments I enjoy. It's not a good film, but I, I have my reasons for liking it. I think it's something if, if you're going to watch movies as as a progression as an as a history of you know of cinema i i think this is one that should be included in that canon i liked a lot of the action in here you know i i talked about with the first one it's a great action movie but it's also just a great movie it's got those elements that take it above the action film genre this is a genre film but i think it's a decent action genre film especially given the, the time it came in it, it set a lot of trends for future action films so as a genre piece it's an entertaining action genre film arnie you know, I kind of feel like I did at the end of our Back to the Future review because I spent most of the time ripping on this movie. I think I spent all of the time ripping on this movie. And I got to say, there's a lot of things wrong with this movie. I don't believe in what the movie stands for. I believe some of the effects are really bad. I believe that the acting is bad. I think that some of it is ridiculous. But it's kind of a fun ride. I'm giving this a very weak recommend. You gotta be able to shut your brain off and go with it. We equated it to pornography. I like pornography. <laughs> so there's something to be said about that. I, I like my explosion porn here. It's fun. It's silly. It's cartoony. And by any characteristic which I judge a movie, I have to rip it apart. But it, this goes into a guilty pleasure category for me. Everything I said about this movie that's bad, I stand by. But yet I had fun watching it. It's it's a very short movie, I gotta say. And that helps. If this movie were even ten minutes longer, my recommend might go into a knot. But the cliches, you could almost make a drinking game out of all the action movie cliches that either started here or exist here. If you tried to take a shot every time somebody should have been shooting Rambo and missed, you'd be drunk really quickly. It's a fun movie. It's an enjoyable time. It's worth watching, but just don't expect the greatest thing. And my God, it, it's when he jumped off the cliff with the napalm here, that's kind of like the level of dropping from first blood to first blood part two. Is <laughs> yeah. that much of a drop, but mm -hmm. slight, slight recommend. And I'm going to agree with everything you both said, because I had a lot of the same feelings that even though I'm just destroying this movie, it is something that I probably will watch again. That being said, I am not going to recommend it. I can't recommend this to anybody, but I sure as hell am going to watch it again. And I think all of you who are listening to this and all the people in the world should watch this movie if you like action movies. It's one of those movies you have to see. I was thinking about this before we sat down today about if I'm going to recommend this one or not because although I just don't like so much in this movie, I kind of liked some things in the movie enough that I could see myself watching it again. But what Arnie said nailed it home for me in my mind earlier today. Did I have a lot of fun watching this movie? I have recommended Jason X because even though it's a not a very good movie, I had so much fun watching that silly, silly movie. I didn't have as much fun watching this one. And that's the difference. For me, it's not as much fun. I don't have the nostalgia that a lot of other people have for this movie. I am not recommending it. It's a weak not recommend because it's kind of a guilty pleasure kind of thing. But by all means, everybody, enjoy it. It's certainly there to enjoy. And it's the kind of movie that you don't have to think about. Just have fun with it. So if you enjoy this podcast, please listen to First Blood, the first episode of this retrospective series. And check out our other shows. You can find those in the archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com. 
And you can also go to Facebook and join in the conversation. You can also go to a forums and discuss this podcast and others with other listeners like yourself. If you enjoyed now playing, please leave a positive review for us on iTunes so other people like yourselves can find us. And one more thing before we go, we want to ask you all, our listeners, to please nominate us for a podcast award. Once again, podcast awards are here. And last year, you guys were so great nominating us that we would very much like to be nominated again. (laughs) We got the bug. Now, we understand that we ask a lot of you recently with donating for Child's Play, but this is different because we're not asking you to do anything but just go and obviously you like our show, you listen to us, you subscribe to us. It's 120 seconds of your time. Yes. If you could please give that. We would so appreciate it because we like to know that what we do is appreciated Instead of just consume, that you guys like it. And if you guys think we deserve an award, then I, I would really like you to go and nominate us for one. I don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> and, and most importantly, what's really great about these awards, even if we don't win, a lot of people will go to these and nominate their favorite podcasts. That means they may see our name and try us out and give us a chance. And that means now playing could be around even longer to give more great podcasts like the one you're enjoying today. So what we're asking you guys is to nominate Now Playing in two different categories, if you can, The People's Choice and Movies and Films. Now, the nominations close November 21st. So if you're listening to this, we're already a week into it. We mentioned it during Rambo 1. We're a week into it now with Rambo 2. Please don't hesitate. Don't be like, yeah, I'll do that later. If you're at work, hey, that's what work computers are for. (laughs) Podcastawards.com. And then when you get home, that's what home computers are for, too. Podcastawards.com. And we thank you for your nomination, and we'll let you know what happens. And don't forget that there'll be another episode of this retrospective series next week. So be sure to subscribe to us at iTunes to make sure you don't miss a single episode. And don't forget also, we have a donate button at the bottom of our homepage. Now playing costs a little bit of money to keep going, and we appreciate listener support, so we don't have to do this all out of pocket. Those Saw 3D tickets weren't cheap. And so we appreciate everybody who's been donating and donated during our donation drive the past couple months. But even though the drive is over, the donate button's still there. And if you just discovered us and you liked us and you got some enjoyment, throw a few bucks our way through the donate button. And we appreciate it. Thank you. Very much so. So, Jacob, Arnie, we will reconvene when we talk Rambo 3. When Rambo and Al-Qaeda fight together. Yay. Well, I can't wait. First, it was for himself. Second, it was for his country. This time, it's for his friend. Yeah, Rambo fights with the Mujahideen against the Russians. And the Mujahideen, of course, became the Taliban, which, you know, Al-Qaeda splinter group, 9-11. So, yeah, we're going to have an interesting conversation. This one might be a lot more timely. Yeah, or a lot more ghastly. I don't know. I've never seen it all the way through, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I couldn't get through it and I was 12 and it didn't hold my interest. I'm worried about going back to this. (laughs) So we will join you all for that episode very soon. Talk to you then. You did everything to make this private war happen. You've done enough damage. This mission is over, Rambo. Do you understand me? This mission is over. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Rambo Retrospective Series. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! You asked me, I didn't ask you! You can find the other episodes in this Rambo retrospective series at nowplayingpodcast.com in the archive section, as well as our review of other classic movie series including Predator, Terminator, Star Trek, The Karate Kid, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. You're the only one I trust. Be sure to visit booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews of each of David Morrell's Rambo novels and an interview with the author. I'm just amazed that he allowed any of your posse to live. You're lucky to be breathing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a positive review for us on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed can be found at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm giving you a direct order to withdraw from this project. You can also support Now Playing by making a donation using the donate button at the bottom of our homepage. Your donations help keep Now Playing on the air. John, I told you that I'd help you when I could. 
You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post new episodes and the Now Playing hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place, buddy. Now Playing presents the Rambo Retrospective Series podcasts are edited by Jay, Arnie, and Brock. And there isn't one of us that doesn't want to be someplace else. But this is what we do. The Rambo films are the intellectual property of their respective trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. The law, not here, it's me. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinions of Venganza Media Incorporated. Live for nothing, or die for something. Now playing is copyright and trademarked Venganza Media Incorporated 2010, all rights reserved. Oh, yeah, th- this pants. Hello? The, uh, we heard, yeah, yeah, this, then a long silence, and then pants. That's what it, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> These pants. That's what I was going for. <laughs> um, I guess I'll start over then. <laughs> Starting with the pants. <laughs> I just don't really like sequels most of the time. Welcome to Now Playing, yeah. Jacob. <laughs> yeah, we do these series, Jacob. Wrong sequels are our bread and butter, man. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, but that was later, so maybe Jack Sparrow was a ripoff of these Vietnamese smugglers. I thought the same thing when I saw the movie. They didn't see this movie first. Well, you no. can't reference as an example movies from 20 years later. I can say that pirates rip people off throughout history of movies, Arnie, is the point. The pirates are pirates. Also, are pirates. Kind, of throughout his- also history kind of throughout history, that's what they're known for. <laughs> not just movies. By de- definition, it's not like Hollywood gave pirates a bad name. <laughs>